Next Chapter Podcast. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend The king of peace for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man J.M. On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end The song is Army of Me. It's by the one and only Bjork, which I found out is not how you say her name, from her 1995 record post. It's also number 376 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. People also call me the King of Fleece. You can call me King Kadoogle. I give a shit. Just call me. You know what I'm saying. Have you been watching the podcast? Because you can watch it two different ways. We publish the full episodes on Wednesday on our Patreon for the 500 Club members, paying $5 a month or more, and we appreciate it. Fleece Army, support the show. There's a bunch of incredible people that work on this show. We're giving you extra podcasts on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. And... If you can't afford it, because I know times are tough, we post the videos on our YouTube every Thursday. So go to youtube.com backslash Josh Adam Myers and smash the subscribe button. That's what the kids say. Let's talk about Bjork. You'll come to find out when you listen to this episode that I have been a fan of her music. I make fun of her a lot, too, in my stand-up act. I have a whole bit about Why kick Mexicans out of this country when Scandinavians suck balls? Of course, Scandinavians are fine. I love all race, colors, and creed. But for the purpose of the joke, it's hilarious. Now, that being said, I am fascinated by Bjork. And you want to know where it really started? When she beat the shit out of that news reporter. If you haven't seen that, go on YouTube and just type in Bjork fights reporter a reporter was bothering bjork when she was coming off an airplane she was tired dude i just got off an airplane from new york truth be told i recorded this intro on monday and it was great i was confident i was funny i had riffs galore and then i sent the wrong file to peter and then i went to new york and now i gotta re-record it and my confidence is knocked and this is the 18th time i've tried to record this intro so If a reporter would have come up to me right now while I'm trying to record this, I would beat the shit out of that reporter too. So guess what, Bjork? I see eye to eye with you. I love you. Fight as many news reporters as you want. Punch Don Lemon in the face. I could give a fuck. But Bjork's music is something that I feel, I don't know if it could be, if it's, I don't know... I don't know if it's alternative. I don't know if it's trip hop. I don't know if it's hip hop. Maybe it's Scandinavian hip hop. What I do know is that there's something about her that I find extremely interesting. She's also one of the most adorable human beings in the world. She's got a real Nelly Furtado vibe and I love Nelly Furtado and I love Bjork because they remind me of a girl I dated when I was 19 years old named Crystal. I think she's married now, but Crystal had like 
crazy Bjork vibes. The music, the look, the Scandinavian accent, it all forms like Voltron to make this incredible artist. And today, I have an incredible guest who is a incredible friend. And guess what, guys? This is what so this is why I'm talking about the the other intro I recorded. First of all, my guest is the incredible Kurt Brownholler. Fuck, I can't say his name. Kurt Brownholler. Now, I might be off on his last name. Here's the thing about the old intro that I did. I actually called Kurt and got him to say it during the intro, and it's gone. It's sitting on my fucking computer in, in Los Angeles. I am so bummed out. It was probably the greatest intro I've ever done. Hands down, greatest intro I've ever done. But that shouldn't take away from my guest, because you know my guest from The Big Sick, from Black Monday, Lady Dynamite. He's the co-host of one of the best shows in Los Angeles, Hot Tub, with him and Kristen Shaw, produced by my boy Joel Mandelkorn. We're going to talk about that. Also, he's got an incredibly funny podcast called The Bananas Podcast, where Kurt and co-host Scott Landis discuss strange news from around the world. He's an incredible guest. I had him on for the intro. I am so bummed out that it's gone. But this is fun one. He's a real Bjork fan. And you guys are going to dig it. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms or anywhere you get your pods. And if you're listening on Apple, leave a five-star rating and leave a review. Leave a review because some people think that this is like sponsored by Rolling Stone magazine. And they're like, why would Rolling Stone let this unknowledgeable host host a show about music they don't realize that i'm a comedian ladies and gentlemen i never said i knew everything about music that's why i have morty on the podcast he's the expert i'm i'm the funny dude the music funny dude what i drop who cares follow me at josh adam myers on all social media for all my tour dates go to joshadammyers.com for videos podcast links whatever you need Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. Welp, there's nothing left to say, but Bjork, you want to do it? Well, sure. Here we go with number 376 with post by me, Bjorky. What's up, Fleece Army? Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week, Sunset Lake CBD. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Then in 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And they have products for each man, woman, and child. They offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD coffee crafted to help with stress, aches, and pains. I back up that claim. They sent me the tincture. I take it every day. No stress, no anxiety. Their gummies are incredible. They're so tasty. They cool you out, take away all the jib-jabs of the day, but most importantly, they're delicious. Like, I want to eat multiple gummies but you got to stay at one because if i take more i'll fall asleep they have a cream that is incredible i use it on my back my shoulders all the pain go bye-bye 
I believe in this company. Their products are incredible. I wouldn't recommend a company that I wouldn't use myself. So go to sunsetlakecbd.com. Use code JAM500 for 20% off all products. Once again, that's sunsetlakecbd.com and use code JAM500 for 20% off all products. And now, back to the pod. I, I I thought it was Bronal. I thought it was Bronalauncher. <laughs> Brown Oler. Fuck. Bro- <laughs> well, thank God we got that out of the way. <laughs> I, do, I I imagine that you've had your name fucked up more than any other comedian ever. Should have changed it. Should have changed it when I started comedy. Thought about it. Didn't do it. My fault. No, no. <laughs> I should have been Curdy B. Think about how big I'd be right now Curdy if I was Curdy B. B. Curdy, that's actually fantastic. Too. <laughs> well, I'm Josh. I'm Josh Adam Myers because Bobby Lee said to me uh, when he met, I met him in a parking lot at the Gelsons right here on Franklin, and I was like, I want to be a comic, and he was like, What's your name? I'm like Josh Myers. He goes, You can't be Josh Myers, and I'm like, Why? And he goes, Because there's already a Josh Myers, Seth Myers's brother. So he's like, So change your name. And then I went through like four <laughs> variations, and then I. What are the other variations? I want to hear some of the others. First one? Yeah. Ready for this shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. J Money. (laughs) Dude, (laughs) one of my ones, one of my first ones was K Pickle. Okay, so we're in the same boat. (laughs) Having bad ideas for names. K Pickle. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I don't know. It was K Pickle, Kentucky Brown Horse. And Curdy B. Those were the only ones I came up with. And I was like, they're all terrible. I'll just go with Kurt Brownoler. Kurt Brownoler, dude, for the fucking win, dude. But <laughs> K Pickle, man, you better get that tattooed on your heart. Um, so uh, we're homies. Uh, I love you to death. When my booker said you were a fan of Bjork, my mouth hit the floor. I was like, I did not expect this to be the record that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Do you know, it's just, I'm, listen, I, I I love Bjork. That's, I'm going to say this to the whole audience. Love Bjork. It's just, it's just, well, she's, she's an artist that you don't, like, not everybody digs her. Oh, no, she's a weirdo. A weirdo. Yeah. It, and it just took me by surprise. So take me, take me through. How did, how did you end up on this episode doing Bjork, Bjork I can't even say it, Bjork Post? I, I think it was... And I just, I'm so excited because I like I started after I found out we were going we to do Bjork Post and I started like listening to the album again and I was like, oh my God, I think I like almost every song on this album, which is really difficult. You know, there's I think there's like two that I'm like, meh, but every other one I'm like, this is a fucking great song. So I was, it came out in 1995. I was in college at the time. Uh, like a sophomore in college, Johns Hopkins too. <laughs> I did get yes. Johns Hopkins, <laughs> I, which which is which is great. I, every time my sister uh, did her residency there at the hospital, and it's like I it just I remember hearing you say that on the crab feast, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude, Baltimore, dude, <laughs> Baltimore, man, love that." And yeah, I really love Baltimore. Um, and this has some Baltimore history in it. This story Ooh. too. Ooh. So I remember Bjork from when I was in high school and uh, human behavior was like that video and it would be always be on 120 minutes and it was like exciting to watch 120 minutes and it was like, who is this weirdo? This is great. And then 
I think I owned that album. But then when Post came out and I got it, and that arm, when Army of Me, like when I first heard that song, like that was the first song I heard that like heavy kind of electronic sound. Yeah. Because I was just like a, like at that time, I was like a punk kid. Um, just like primarily listening to like Bikini Kill and Unwound and stuff from the Pacific Northwest on like Kill Rock Stars and stuff yeah, yeah. and K Records. And honestly, I think I was like, I thought maybe <laughs> what freshman year of college, I almost exclusively listened to like lesbian punk rock. I think I thought I just like identified with lesbian punk rock for some reason. Queer lesbian punk rock. So you're uh, a huge fan of Good Charlotte, right? They're the biggest. <laughs> they're the biggest lesbian punk rock band ever, and they're from Maryland. Waldorf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like the Third Sex. Like they. Like I was all like these little indie bands from like the Pacific Northwest, right? Yeah. And then, uh, and then I started, and then, and, and then sophomore year, I started living with a guy who's really into industrial, John. Uh, super into Skinny Puppy. And so I started listening to a little bit more electronic music and I also got really into Acid. And uh, like listening to that Bjork record kind of got me into like electronic music because before I was just like, if it's beepy and bloopy, like fuck it, I am out, I hate it. Uh, (laughs) But then because of that record, I like liked it so much. I remember... I was like, at the same time, also, I was like, I'm going to like start selling acid. And uh, I was listening to Bjork and I, and I, because of like this electronic stuff and I was getting more into it, I found out there was this huge electronic scene in Baltimore. Uh, and so there was this place, it was called Rise. It happened. Oh, oh I know. Oh, you oh, know I, Rise? I, I, dude, Fever, Paradox. Like, Holy all, shit, really? All, dude, that. Me and, me and Ryan Sickler did a show in Baltimore not too long ago, and you know that, like, right where the new stadiums are is where the Paradox was. Yeah. And that's where Jimmy Seafood does this huge tailgate for the Ravens games. And the bathroom that you use is now the defunct Paradox. And, wow. like, I walked through and was just, like, uh, fingered a girl over there. I threw <laughs> up over here. I was, like, I was like, that's where I used to do K. Like, it's... <laughs> It means everything to me. Oh my god, that's so, so fucking crazy! I had no idea. Are you from yeah, Baltimore? I I was born in Germantown, but and I lived in Baltimore for seven years. And I lied uh, when I first moved to LA and said I was from Baltimore because I thought it sounded cooler. Of course, but I'm really from the suburbs of DC. Okay, but but it's like thirty minutes away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that you. That's like I like that that you chose Baltimore over saying you were from DC. Like that cooler. is a specific type of person. Because I when I lived in Baltimore, I fucking hated DC so much. I hated the music scene there i hated everything about dc and i love baltimore um charm city baby charm city baby uh so i'm like i'm getting into like listening to a little bit more electronic music and so i decide that like where and i find out about rise because of that and i'm like i'm gonna go (laughs) i'm gonna go i'm gonna buy a sheet of acid and then i'm gonna start selling acid which is a convenient (laughs) way to just do a ton of acid and not make any money uh and so I and like I at the time only wore like uh like military. I was dressed. <laughs> I was dressed. I had a completely shaved head with just the just, <laughs> and I just had like a coxcomb of hair. So it was just like a puff of hair right here. Everything else was shaved, and then this I would like uh, sculpt into two spikes, two <laughs> horns. So I just looked like a fucking chicken. Like I looked terrible. <laughs> and I only wore like military fatigues, like ex-military stuff. And so I'm like going to go to Rise and buy a sheet of acid. Because in my head, I'm just like, 
how difficult can it be? Like all these kids have drugs. I'm going to walk up. I'm just going to find it. I'm going to go by myself. And everyone who I lived with was just like that. You're crazy. Like, no, you're not going to buy a sheet of acid. You don't know anybody. <laughs> you can't just go to this place. I'm like, you watch me. And I went, I went by myself, went to rise Sunday night. I think it started at like midnight or something. It went to like 10 in the morning or something. Yeah. So I get there and I just, I'm like wearing my, like <laughs> my army issue backpack and my combat boots. And I'm like walking around and I was there for maybe, maybe 15 minutes. I just kept asking people if they had a sheet of acid. Like the third person I asked was like, oh yeah, man, <laughs> he sold it to me for 150 bucks. And I was Whoa. like, got it, took it home. Uh, and we immediately tripped like that night and then I was trying to sell it and you know, I sold like 10 hits of it and we ended up like doing the rest of it. Um, but that during those trips also was when we were listening to this record as well. So all of that, that's kind of how I got introduced to this album was during this, like this punk rock period with a lot of acid in Baltimore. And so, and it's like just stuck in my brain in like a very permanent place because of that. I couldn't imagine tripping balls and listening to this record, man. I mean, I I was, by the time I started going to raves, I was already done with acid because I had a schizophrenic breakdown when I was in 11th grade. Okay. Uh, And so I've always kind of like been very like cautious about about LSD. Big Mushrooms fan. And I really, I really would like to take Mushrooms and listen to this. Um, But like, what did you see? I mean, like listening to this record on LSD, I mean, did you have like out of body experiences? Like, how did you connect with it more than just listening to it sober? It was such dry. Like, I I, I mean, just especially the first track, Army of Me, I think is just such like driving music. I was also like, there was weird tropes that just like kept coming. I guess I think when you do acid a lot, when you do hallucinogens a lot, you start talking about life and like, like themes and stuff yeah. like that, which you seem like pop up, right? And so we had, it was like the four of us who lived together, all were doing a bunch of acid together. So we had like these themes that kept like coming up. Um, and like one thing was like this kind of like robotic, There, it was like um, it, it, hardcore techno, like before it was, hardcore techno was something in 1995 that it, it changed. The name started to refer to something else. But in 1995, hardcore techno was just that like, 220 beats per minute like it sounds like robots are murdering people and we would listen to that on acid so when we would like switch over to the bjork it was very relaxing and calming um but we would just like always travel we would always be going somewhere to do something like i would we would just get in my car and just drive to dc like i drove to dc by sight do you know what i mean like i just kept going south and then saw the capital the what is it the big stick what's that called (laughs) the washington monument washington monument the big saw the big stick, stick and I was like we're gonna get stick. to the big stick and we literally <laughs> did it just by like visually queuing off where things were smoking Moors. do you remember Moors? oh yeah dude the brown cigarettes Those brown cigarettes yeah dude that was the first cigarette I ever had was no, a Moore. what yeah dude I swear <laughs> stole it from Adrian Cheney's dad Adrian Cheney's dad Yep, they were like the dirt family in my neighborhood. Uh, the Moors, I cannot believe. I mean, I've never met anybody who's had a, a sweet Moor. I remember just, <laughs> I bought them as a joke while we were tripping, and then just, they're so thin, you could hardly get any smoke out of them, so we were smoking two at a time. So just driving down, what, for the, four, the 95, 95. 95, or maybe even 295, who knows, man. Yeah, That's, man. There's so many ways to get there, dude. <laughs> Oh, God, I fucking, I love this so, so much. This is way better than, eh, I just, 
just bought the CD, and you know, I, I was a fan of Bjork. You're you're bringing up so much shit for me, dude. Has it has it evolved? I mean, did did it stop with Post, or were you, did you get into like Medulla? I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but all the other records. I you know I got into Vespertine a little bit. Yeah. Um, I feel like after, and and you know I am not super you know i i tried to keep up but i just couldn't you know what i mean every time i would kind of like dip in after post it was so weird uh just weird and um it just didn't seem to be framed with like the the beats that she was using on post just held everything down and uh, like her airy kind of like melodic just like going all over the place with her voice was anchored by that stuff and i don't know if that was her producers but you know she produced the i think she co-produced the record herself um but then after that i think she just it just to me at least felt unanchored into like just magical mystical whimsy and i was just like i can't really follow it i think it's beautiful but i wouldn't like put it on to chill out to you know yeah hey this is chris swinney formerly of the ataris and currently host of that one time on tour part of the sound talent media podcast network have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Well, actually, I would I would say this. I would I I think the music as it evolved, except for the record that she uh, that Timbaland produced, which kind of goes back to like post. It is very like good background, like dinner party music. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Hey, we're having tapas. You know what I mean? Ah, when was that? A fucking meatball, <laughs> and then you eat it, and it's like I, I'm much like you. I fell off. Uh, not not from this record. Like like you know, I there's something about Bjork. And I think we all can agree, and all the listeners can agree, there is something interesting about her. I still can yeah. pinpoint the exact moment I saw her. When I was oh. I was sitting on the couch, I was watching MTV, and they put on Sugar Cube's hit. And this moment right here is, and I'd say top 10 musical moments from the 90s that I fucking, I listen to this song all the time. Play the, play the moment I love so much. That little like second voice. Oh God, I love that song. But and then the, the song is weird as shit because it's got the guy like, "Butcher never happened." That <laughs> really hurts. Oh, you're a girl. And it I really, was like, this song it's weird as fuck. But there's but I saw her and she's so cute yeah. and she's so like. 
you know, she looks like every, I mean, you probably agree, every raver girl that you saw at Rise, at yeah. Paradox, at Buzz. And and so I I remember when the first record came out and I was like, okay, like, I really love human behavior. But this record, my good friend Ryan McLaughlin uh, bought and we just drove around in his Jetta and we just got high in the back roads mm-hmm. of like, we used to drive into the hills, like away from DC and go to like towards the Frederick area and just get to smoke blunts and listen to this record. And it was so different than Anything that yes. was out at that time that at least, because I wasn't a raver yet, mm-hmm. that I hadn't even got into electronic music. Yeah. And to be honest with you, Kurt, what got me into going to raves wasn't the music. It was, much like you, the drugs. The drugs. Because I was a huge fan <laughs> of ecstasy and, and, and ketamine and all the good stuff. And Coke and, you know, all the stuff that comes <laughs> along things. with it. The sex, it was great. Um, but then I stopped listening to her and it wasn't until uh, I think Dancer in the Dark that I started like re-listening to her because she did some stuff with um, with Tom York. Uh-huh. And, I, and it's just and anything you do with the with the with Radiohead, I'm 100 percent in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sh- now, uh, like much like you, I don't listen to her music as much. I've been kind of doing like a little deep dive on her recently. Yeah. Um but there's, like I said, there's something about her that I love. I love how interesting she is. I love the outfits. I love when she wore the swan thing. Um, and she's one of the few like musicians that I follow on all social media because I just think oh, she's that's a fucking. Good idea. And she dated Goldie, who was a huge drum and bass DJ. Uh, yeah, he, he was in uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And I mean, dude, it's. Bjork, dude. She's just Bjork. It's like I make fun of her. I do this whole joke about Scandinavian music. And and I, you know, I always say, like, no one has ever said, you want to turn the party up? Put some <laughs> Bjork on. No one will ever say that. And but that's the thing is everybody knows who she is. She yes. is such an iconic artist up there with maybe not musically recognized as Beyonce or fucking Madonna. But, you know, nobody knows her last name. We only call her Bjork. So because of that, you know, I feel like she deserves all the accolades because obviously she's done something. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think and I don't I think that debut album I was reading on her Wikipedia page that I think they thought like okay well she's in the sugar cubes this that like it's a that people love it but it's like a culty band like this album will sell 40,000 copies like that's what they assumed and then it sold I think 600,000 in like the first year and then had like a top like a number one hit on it already I mean like it's just crazy to think like that you just go from there to there like overnight she just because she was like just like she was an indie darling to like a global superstar like a fucking overnight it was kind of uh, insane. I think that that really kind of affected just from reading a little bit on the Wikipedia of like then how she did all the rest of her music, which was just like I'm just gonna I'm a pure artist. I'm just gonna do, and that's what I think is difficult, right? It's like yeah. difficult to follow when a band isn't committed to like this one specific sound, but instead they're committed. And I admire it, but instead yeah. committed to just like fucking exploring. And exactly. Bar- Beth is <laughs> Beth and Bork. I just wanted to say and Bjork's no, just I, fucking exploring, you know, dude, and- that that's why I love Miles Davis. That's why yeah. I love Radiohead. That's why I love the Beatles. I mean, they, they start at one place, they end at something different. And I mean, 
one thing we can say about her music is that it's none of it has been the same. Yeah. Maybe maybe some of this stuff where it gets kind of noisy and atmospheric, it's it's more similar, but it's definitely not Sugar Cubes, and it's definitely not this. Yeah. So at least on that note, I'm like, all right, well, I love her even more because of that. Might not listen to it, but I love it. Yeah. Uh, Morty, why don't you tell us a little bit about Bjork? Okay, fellas. First of all, I'm going to I'm going to assume that it's just your Balmer accent. Let's get this let's get this straight for the audience or everyone. Her name is pronounced Bjerk. When you see the little <laughs> umlauts on top, dude. go fuck yourself. No, 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 no uh-uh. not you, not you. Everybody no. says Bjork or Bjork or Bjork. Yeah, it's it's Bjork. It's Bjerk. Bjerk. Bjerk is how she. Who knew? It. It's Bjerk. It's Bjerk. <laughs> So when you see me no say one calls no, but, her that, hold on. we all call her Bjork. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Goldie called her Bjork. When you hear me say that, just know you can think it whatever you want, but that that's how she actually pronounces it. So now I'll, <laughs> I'll catch you up. So, you know, I'm the pedantic one here. So this album is released on June 13th of 1995 on One Little Indian and Electra Records in America. It's produced by Bjork, Nellie Hooper, Graham Massey, uh, Tricky, Howie B., uh, and this is the second album of hers, uh, the Icelandic alternative electronica trip hop pop art art pop artist. Uh, she's born in Reykjavik. A lot of art. She's born in Reykjavik, Iceland, in '65, under the name Björk Gudman's daughter. As you know, Icelandic people are named after their father. So it's either mm-hmm. Goodman is her father, you know, or it would have been Goodman's son. All the CrossFit girls in the CrossFit games are all like David's daughter and, and shit like that. That's yeah. how I knew that. And- it's kind of <laughs> like when you're the the Jewish name, which is, you know, my I'm Heshele Ben Aliadavid, right. son of David. Yes. Yeah, so exactly what- and Kurt, I don't know if, uh, you know, if you're Jewish or we're interested in that, but, you know, oh. takeaway fact for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got it. You actually yeah, pronounce her last name Brownholler. <laughs> All right, so she was already studying classical piano and flute by the age of six. And then her voice got her a record deal and she put out a, an album of Icelandic children's music. That she recorded when she was only 11, but it came out in 77. What? Yeah, her first, her, her real debut. Okay, so by her teens, she's already forming and playing and collaborating in a bunch of different bands. She's in an all-female punk rock group. She's in a jazz fusion group. And then after music school, which she completed, she starts yeah. her first professional band and puts out an EP. And uh, this band is called Tapi Tikaras, which is roughly translated mean? to Cork the Bitch's Ass. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait! Wasn't it actually pronounced uh, Kirk, Kirk the bitch's Kirk, ass? Kirk the bitch's earth. Kirk it. Yeah, I, Kirk. I assume it's it's very cold in Iceland, and so it was a working title. Yeah, it was a working title. I wonder and, what and was what do you think was what do you started. think was already taken? Do you have any other any clues on what on what they didn't use? I mean, what kind what of music was it? Oh, exactly like it sounds. You know, I think their name was incredibly descriptive of the type of music they were making. It was it was Bjork Dude. actually yelling and the other one laughing uproariously. Kurt, this really? is probably the lesbian music that you listen to. I'm just surprised <laughs> Kirk the bitch's ass didn't get into your fucking into your Spotify playlist. So after that, she goes and works with a guitar a guitarist named Thor Eldon, who has a, th- a surrealist band called Medusa, which includes a poet named Sion. Which I'll get of to in course. a little bit. That makes sense. This is amazing. So this is next, all fucking amazing. This is project, exactly what 
Bjorn's Bjork. What yeah. Bjorn's Bjork. You'll, you'll love this. Yeah. Her next project is this gothic punk rock group where she hones her unique, the thing you were talking about, her unique vocal style. And then uh, um, they put out a single, a couple of albums. They put, she puts out a poetry book. And then that group splinters up, becomes a duo. She finds out she's pregnant with Thor's child. Uh, they get ooh, married. Thor. They have their son. How old is she at this point? She's like 19 or something. Oh, dig, dig, dig this. I'll, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll, I'll name. This is 19. And then watch how much he gets done before that. So she has his kid. She gets married. They have their son, Sindri. She adds acting to her resume. And then they start another band, but specifically to make money. She's only 20 at the time. Oh my God. So Whoa, they became, yeah, they got, they got them working early in oh, yeah. fucking Iceland. What, else, what else are they doing? <laughs> Name another CrossFit. thing. Yeah, exactly. CrossFit. <laughs> fish, eating fish, bathing. Yeah. That, that's all I'd do. Twice a year. <laughs> Walking to a waterfall. Yeah. yeah. So that group becomes known as, and you guys will have fun with this one, Sikur Molinir. That's the name of the band they put together to make money. They put out some well-received Icelandic language singles. Then they signed with an English independent label called One Little Indian. They release an English translation version of their first single, which is called Birthday, under their translated band name, The Sugar Cubes. So that's Whoa. that's the actual name. God bless them. Oh, okay. So right after- Love The Sugar Cubes, yeah. man. I only know one song by them, but I fucking love them. <laughs> Don't you love that song? I always tried to listen. Yeah. I always tried to listen to the Sugar Cubes. I had like one Sugar Cube CD and I would like pop it in like, all right, let's get into this. And then I'd be like, I can't get into it. <laughs> I say, ouch, that really hurts. And you're like, all right. It just felt right, very dude. of a time, you know? Very. Even when I was I was listening to it, what, 1996 or something. And it was like, ah, it's already over for this. Yeah, okay. yeah. That, that Fred Schneider guy <laughs> it expired. it for me. That Fred Schneider guy, he was like, she's wonderful. And then he would come in and go, I'm a boy and you're a girl. And I was like, you're, you're unnecessary. You must be the manager and drive the van because you're completely unnecessary in this band. So right after so right after the Sugar Cubes put out their first album, Bjork and Thor break up. They get a divorce. But the band stays together, which we're seeing a lot of in our past things of people breaking up and keeping their artists, keeping their music together. So they have an incredibly popular career for a while. Still alternative. Bjork wants to collaborate. She decides to go solo and she wants to move to London. So on her technically second debut album, the imaginatively titled Debut, it's produced by Nellie Hooper, who you know from Massive Attack, one of the last episodes. And then it's a critical and commercial success internationally. She, as, as Kurt pointed out, she, the album, the singles, they win all kinds of awards. For the follow-up, she, she decides to build on that and she brings in uh, more producers for this record. And she wants to call it, it's a combination by calling it post. It's a combination of representing the excitement of living post moving to London. She's excited about that. And all the songs are sort of like personal correspondences to people she loves and to things she loves. And so it's, so it's like a, a pun on mail. And even on the cover, you'll oh. notice she's wearing a jacket and the, the, uh, what do they call it? The lapel looks like airmail. Like an oh, yeah, interesting. That, he, he mentioned that to me earlier, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, but also that like, does make sense." Think about that. Like, that's just, it's essentially her sophomore album, right? So the first one was like songs she had written for ten years. It's exactly like comedy, where it's just like your first album is just jokes from fucking ten years, and then your next one is jokes you wrote like in a year or two. Yes. And the and it's never it's oh it's always I always think that there's a little slump on that second album. But the fact that this is her second album and this is the one. That just is like wins everything and like every single song is a hit is 
crazy. And she wrote it in like, what, like a year or something like that? Yeah, in between moving to, she was so inspired by London. And you'll see, there's some stuff I'll carry over. I'll give you some more information as we get into it. But for this one, you know, the lyrics are intimate. They're complex. The music is more challenging. It's more ambitious. And then all the videos are intriguing and completely engaging. And and that's where Michelle Gondry. Yeah. Michelle Gondry. And Spike. Is it all Michelle or is there there some that Spike Jones did? John Chris. Spike Jones did it. John Chris Felusi from Ren and Stimpy. He got did one of the videos. So, yeah. So although she's always been more popular in Europe than America, she did get to number 32 for this record, uh, which was higher than her debut. Uh, It's universally acclaimed by critics. It's featured on almost every best of list, even for the decade. It was considered probably one of the best albums of the decade, won awards everywhere. And then you'll still today, to this day, you'll see her in like Sia, uh, you mentioned Tom York, MIA, who we did, Florence and the Machine, Missy Elliott, Evanescence, like you'll you'll hear elements of her in everything and see elements of her. And then uh, since then, she released seven more albums, plenty of other product of all kinds. You guys can look that all up. So she's had 32 singles in the top 40 charts. She's had uh, 22 top 40s in the UK, has sold somewhere between 20 and 40 million records worldwide. And she is our artist and Post is the album of the day. Oh, my God. Holy Thank shit. Thank you, Morty. Thank you, Morty. Well, you bro. are coming wow. through with the bangers, bro. I'm surprised <laughs> she had 38 number ones because uh, I only probably count like four. Uh, it's I mean, who knew people were putting like tapas music on? <laughs> All right. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Let's get into this record. All right, so it opens up uh, with probably the biggest song that I know from this record. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. It's Oh So Quiet. Oh So Quiet, I think, probably is a little bit bigger of a karaoke song. But but I also think that this, like, that, like these songs, some of them had a resurgence 
When do you remember when those DVDs, those DVDs of Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones came out? Yeah. Yes, and like everyone had them, and every you just get stoned and just like fucking put on the Michelle Gondry music video thing and just go through all the music videos. And I remember like aren't like that Army of Me one was like I think what started the DVD off. And I feel like there was a resurgence in interest in her when that like collection of like Gondry and Spike Jones videos came out. At least for me, there was no. I, I listen. Everybody that he mentioned that did her music videos are all like really established, like great directors that have made movies that are like, you know, I mean, Spike Jones, fucking, you know, her and and uh, being John Malkovich and Michelle Gondry, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, I don't remember the music video for this one. What was it? Oh, the army of me. It's yeah. like yeah. starts off with, she's in like this, like futuristic, like trash truck. And she's like smashing through like barricades. And then there's like, and it's all stop animation of like a butterfly that like keeps like landing on her. And it's insane. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's kind awesome. of Mad Max, but playful, like gregarious Max. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm a fan, dude. All right. So this was the first single. It was co-written with uh, Graham Massey, one of the founding members of the uh, Electronica and Acid House Legends 808 State. Uh, and this was her first to enter the UK top 10. Uh, and she wrote it as some tough love advice and support to her brother who was going through some heavy stuff. I never would have thought that's what it was about. No, me neither. Um, the interesting thing, Morty, tell us, tell us about the drums. So, so what's dope is on this is you'll hear there's uh, the drums on this were actually sampled from John Bonham on When the Levy Breaks. Same thing that they use on License to Hill and Rhyming and Steel, the first song on that record, also. That's where oh, they got yes. the drum sample for from this. So, shout out to Bonzo. <laughs> This is such uh, a fucking good song. I mean, it's such a great song on so many levels. Uh, what, what, when you hear this, what do you think of Kurt? Oh, I mean, it's just it's just like that. It's that the beautiful mix of like that heaviness and that driving bass. Uh, then when her voc- vocals start coming in, it's very much like a little butterfly, like flitting around like a giant Mad Max garbage truck. You know, I, I mean, like that's why the video, the video to me is like so linked to this song. Yeah. Um, this, I mean, it just takes me back. And it's what's so great about it is it still holds up today. It's not like this is like yeah. stuck in 1995. Like this, you could put this on, you know, fucking like a band could cover this you could see oh is this the video yeah, yeah. oh it is mad maxi yeah yeah oh. it's like no mad it's like max. it's very industrial yeah like a forbidden zone and mad max and yeah i mean it's you know he's incredible and look at how young she is what she's oh. fucking 21 in this something 22 like or something yeah. It's fucking crazy. Look, Adorable. she looks like a child. She is ador- That's every girl. Uh, dude, the best she's ever looked <laughs> is when she's got the little like twisties the in her twisty hair. Twisty hairs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I think I, that was I, in that was it. That was from her first album where she's like dancing on that flatbed truck as it's going through like Manhattan, I think. Oh 
God, I just I want to date a girl that looks like her there or Nelly Furtado. <laughs> That's what I want from the from I'm like a bird. I want to fly away video. <laughs> Let's talk about advice, Kurt. I want to ask you this because this is a song about tough love advice. Uh, what's the greatest advice you've ever gotten? Jesus Christ. Okay. Maybe it sounds cheesy or maybe it sounds um, uh, esoteric or maybe it sounds weird. Oh, anyway, I'm not going to judge it. It, uh, it's chop wood, carry water. Um, so it's like, uh, and I think this was introduced to me, I think sometime in high school. Um, I had an English teacher by the name of Joe Feely at Christian Brothers Academy in uh, Lincroft, New Jersey, all boys Catholic school. And for some reason, this man, this lunatic, uh, was teaching an English class. And it wasn't even an English class. He taught this class called Myths, Dreams, and Culture. And in a, in a Catholic boys' school in New Jersey in 1993, he was, like, teaching uh, kids about uh, Zen Buddhism and, like, Eastern t- modes of thought and about Aboriginal thought and about, like, dreams. And he was a hip the- teacher? Yeah. And at the end, yeah, yeah. you could sign up and go on to this three-day camping trip where the, essentially you were, like, taught primitive survival skills at this place up in upstate New York called Crow. And then, like, so I went on that, and I think I got this advice there at that time from a guy who lived there by the name of Steve Lee, who was like a, like kind of a like a monk who lived in the woods in a yurt, and he's lived in the woods in a yurt for now like thirty years. Um, and I would go there for the. I would go. I've been going there for like twenty five years. I lived there for a month by myself in the woods when I was twenty two. Right after like listening to this record. Anyway, chop wood, carry water. I think it's based on a Zen cone, and I'm not positive about that. But it's before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. That you that this idea of of work is there is no there is no point in your life where you no longer will work like it, it, there's a multiple levels to it one level if you're just thinking about it on like the enlightenment side is like people like want to become enlightened and they're like what's it like once you become enlightened and the answer is it's like you chop wood carry water before enlightenment you do the same thing afterwards you know it's like there is no difference in your life once you've achieved this thing that you're trying to achieve and like yearning for and that idea to me in my life at least as a comedian has always just been you always think you've all I always thought at least and I think a lot of us did if I just get this one thing then my life is going to change and then it's all going to be easier and it's just going to go skyrocket from here and for and for a couple people like maybe eight that's true and for everyone else for all the hundreds of thousands of other people who are trying to make art it's not true. It's literally like every day you got to wake up, chop wood, carry water. And in that process, you will find enlightenment from actually doing the work. It's not something that you're waiting to build up and get rewarded with. It is rather like the work itself, which is the reward. Dude, you are so zen, bro. You have reached enlightenment, haven't you? Oh, my God. No wonder you kill it in acting class, bro. You are fucking present. Oh yeah, my are we going to talk about the fact that we take acting? We used to before the Great Choir. You haven't done. You haven't done the Zoom. The Zoom uh, no, classes. I don't want to do it. Zoom. It acting sucks. Class. They suck balls, but we do it. It's because you yeah. know you got. I love the work. 
Yeah. I'm, I want. I'm, I I I chop wood, carry water before COVID. I'm chopping wood, <laughs> carrying water now. It is really strange to do a scene, and it's like very intimate, and you're yeah. like leaning into the to the screen, like, <laughs> and like, trying try, trying not try to, to capture, like see yourself acting. You know, just, no, that's that's great, and I and I completely agree with that. Love the work, and you know, I, I went through like my existential crisis a few years ago, and. And it's the same. I'm just able to enjoy the stuff that I do yes. uh, even more now because it's like, no, I love the, the work is the best part. All the goals, all the shit that you get. It's like it's Christmas. It only lasts one day, but then you yep. have 364 days after yep. that. 100%. Dude. Also, just to go back, I don't know if everyone who listens to this podcast realizes what a good actor Josh is like I'm fucking he's Daniel so Day fucking Lewis. good man like it's so <laughs> enjoyable to watch you this is such a dorky like actor thing but it's so enjoyable to watch you work man <laughs> thank you brother well <laughs> casting people did you hear that did you hear that because I ain't booking shit right now dude <laughs> God, it's has nothing though. to do with talent, my friend. Nothing. To, thank you. I appreciate that. Same to you uh, and and your wife, dude. One of, one of my favorite things ever was doing this scene with me and your wife from uh, American uh, Hustle. Yes, and it was just, dude. We like worked on it, intense, and it was, dude. Dude, it was honestly the one time that Myra was like, you know. The one note was so minuscule. She's like, "You just missed this one thing," and I was like, <laughs> "It's like, cause we, dude. I mean, you can." Uh, for the, everybody listening, our acting coach is a genius, Myra Turley. If you need an acting She's coach, great. go to her. But we're we're scared of her. Yeah, everybody is. Everybody, as you should of be, her. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I want that. I want that fucking like you know like I to get her approval means so much, especially when it's like when I showed up, I was so raw and just like all over the place. And and that's the thing of why I do the Zoom classes right now, Kurt, because I don't respond to the email. And then she goes, why aren't you taking the class? And I'm like, well, now I am because because <laughs> I'm afraid of you and uh, you're fucking... That was really sweet of you to say that. I appreciate that, man. Um, and like I said, same to you, dude. All right. Uh, hyper ballad. Yeah. So... This to me is the most Bjork song yes. ever. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It is all the Bjork shit. It has eyes opening, going through a list, mountains, <laughs> cliffs, flying, and bottles and cutlery. And that is, if you write a Bjork song, you need silverware, you need something flying, you need fucking mountains. Uh, this is the fourth single, and it's so well loved by her fans that in a poll to see which other song should be on her greatest hits, this received the most votes. Oh, hands down it should. It's a great song. Are we going to listen to it? Yeah, sure. Uh, turn it, uh, JT, play the ending where it goes into a full-on rave party. You know, I just, when I was just re-listening to the record, I was, I always listened to the song and I always like identified with it during the time when it was, come, came out because it was, it's about throwing stuff off of like a cliff and watching it like break on the way down. 
and I was really into doing like just breaking things, you know, <laughs> like I was, I was just like, I love, like, I would just get like wax poetic about like the beauty of breaking a, a glass bottle and shit. Cause I was just like drunk and high all the time. <laughs> um, and, but when I was listening to it a couple days ago, I realized that it's kind of a song about being with like a really, like a, maybe, maybe it is being with a guy who's like not super exciting. So she wakes up early in the morning and does a thing that like feels dangerous and scares her a little bit so that then she can come back and feel safe with this kind of boring guy. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it is about, but it definitely, there's a reading that can be made there. So it's funny you say that. So she wrote this about that critical time in a relationship at about three years where you're stressed that you'll never get another shot at love. So you only show your partner your sweet side and direct your aggression and dissatisfaction anywhere else. Oh, look at that. Slightly different, slightly different, but I like that different, better. Slightly different. Well, Bjork's, you know, she's a sweet soul, man. And she's very, deep. Very, very sweet soul. Oh, all right, she so is I want to ask. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no she, is, she is as deep as that mountain is tall, baby. <laughs> So I wanted to ask you, because we mentioned your wife, Lauren. Uh, yeah. So you guys, you, of course you live together, you have kids together, and now you guys are writing a show together. Yes. Uh, what do you do if you need a break? And not in the relationship, but just during COVID, being stuck in the house, like how do you separate when you guys are so, you know, just assimilated with one another? We have done breaks where like one person, like I go camping, I get like 24 hours to just go camping. Um, we've done that twice since COVID and, uh, and we're, and we're now we're going to do where, and then she's also gotten a break for 24 hours to just go to a hotel. And so now we're going to do it that same thing again, where she gets another break. Cause I just had my break for my birthday. And so she gets how her break it, for her birthday. How does it come about? You guys are just like, you know, but you're, you're the fucking, the, the trash is laying there. You're going to clean up the, you know what? <laughs> I need a break. I need a break. <laughs> I actually gonna... find with the, with the, the way that the, the notes work with the network project, it's yeah. kind of perfect. Cause it's like, a, it's like a, it's like a couple days of really intense work, like working all day with each other. And then we send it off for notes and then we can't, there's nothing to do. So then we both get to go and do our separate things. I usually yeah, go surfing yeah. and Lauren, uh, Lauren goes for walks or exercises and we just kind of like break that way. Oh God. God, I'm so jealous. I want, I want, I want a break from the relationship. I'm not even in. I just want to like. <laughs> I'm going to San Diego this weekend. I just need a break, dude. I, I've been gone for the last three months uh, from LA. I got back, had to go to Minnesota. Got back. I'm going to San Diego and getting back, going to New York. So, are you doing gigs? I am. Yeah, I was in. Uh, I was at House of Comedy this weekend or last weekend. Then I'm at American Comedy Company uh, performing on a street corner. On the street, yeah. They just they just ended that because I saw Brooks thing and I was like, because I just gotta. I, like I don't feel comfortable going inside yet, but I would be like, I would go out. I would do a show out on the street. Um, and, but they're like <laughs> they're moving it inside. They're moving it inside. Like the, I guess maybe the week after you're there. Oh, fuck, man. Yeah. So it's just we're the opposite. You want to be inside. I want to be outside. Dude, I've had COVID. I have antibodies. Oh, you did? Nice. Dude, dude, I'll fucking lick anybody. Like I don't (laughs) I don't give a shit, dude. I am I am down for the cause. Um (laughs) all right. Next one, modern things, great song. Uh let's get to It's Oh So Quiet. Oh Um, that's the one. Before I give mine, you tell me yours. Tell me about your thoughts, your feelings about this song. 
I really, I mean, like, again, this one is like so tied to the video for me. I, uh, this is Spike Jones directed video, right? It feels very Spike Jones. It is, yeah. Um, but I think it was when, because I'd listened to the album, and you know, when you're listening to an album like sonically, I think a lot of things just kind of get pushed together. But then when you see the video, it's like now you have like this spotlight of this way to think about this song. And I love, like, I just keep thinking about that dancing. Um, uh, there's a post box, a mailbox that like she comes up and like mails something, and then it like jumps up and starts dancing, and it's just like so fucking great. And then there's like that ending shot where she like steps out onto a crane right where the camera is and then it just shoots up into the air and you can see like the entire set behind her. So fucking awesome. It was like, you know, just in that, that video really just inspired me with like a lot of the early comedy videos that I was making. So we were just, I was just obsessed with Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones and that kind of that sound just that, that's how I feel like about me starting comedy around 2005. Dude, I have the exact opposite thoughts on this. I think this is the worst song on the record. I really do. I know. And it didn't start that way when it came out. I liked it. But just over the years, I have seen so many drunk girls sing this at karaoke. Oh. Um, I so, And then when I started listening to the record again, mm-hmm. um, I just started finding myself drawn to the darker stuff yeah. like I, like fucking uh like enjoy like dude the beat on enjoy which we're gonna play in a second is like i fucking love that and with this i just don't think it fits on the record if any maybe in the place that it's mm-hmm. at if she would have moved this to the last song on the record i think then i would have been like oh this is perfect what a fun way to end the album um but it's just and listen i'm not gonna say that i i hate everything about it because this part <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm, but I got I it, it, man. But but I think this part is really, really lovely when the bells come in. Uh, JT, play 233. It's no mistake. This is it! Till it's over and then. It's nice and quiet. Shh, shh. But soon again. That's another big riot You blow a fuse <laughs> I'm so, I'm so I have never, I have never, ever, ever, ever Seen anyone ever do Bjork karaoke And I love that you've seen so many drunk girls do, do Bjork karaoke That it serious? is poisonous Yeah, I'm serious I've never seen anyone do Bjork karaoke I don't know Oh yeah. my god God, it's such. A, I can understand why they're choosing that. It's re- probably real fun to do. <laughs> you like, fall in love, big <laughs> boom, and I'm just like this bitch. All right, good, all <laughs> you right, know what I'm it does done. now. Now it makes me think of uh, La La Land. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. it has that kind of. But you know, it was 1996 instead. Yeah. It, dude, it was huge. I remember, like, my buddy Ryan McLaughlin, who I mentioned earlier, he fucking loved this song. And I think this was actually the song uh, that made him buy the record. Uh, and I think it got, probably a lot of people got into Bjork because of this and then listened to the rest of the record and was like, what the? This isn't oh so quiet. This is the exact opposite. Yeah, no shit. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. 
Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. So, Morty, um, I, she didn't write this. No, she she did a standard on her first record also, uh, but she was sort of against doing you know old-fashioned standards. Um, this this third single is a cover of Betty Hutton's 51 cover of a 1948 German song called Und Jest ist es still. And it's Ooh. it's it's her biggest mainstream hit, which is why yeah. you have your girls drew your drunk. That's why I hate it. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but she liked the narrative structure of the song as opposed to what she thought was like, you know, pop songs having 900 different ways of saying she left me. So she took that as being the reason that she took to doing this standard. And the video part that that I think is most that you're that you guys were drawn to or that you were drawn to uh, by Spike Jones. It's based on the 64 French musical, The Umbrellas of Chaubul, oh, uh, starring Catherine sense. Deneuve, which yep. the interesting part is then Bjork, is cool. five years later, when she does Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark movie, her co-star mm-hmm. is Catherine Deneuve. So it's sort of a big Whoa. circle again, and, and, that's circle. A, and it's a musical. So yeah, so Dude, it's very ever- interesting. Kurt, you ever seen Dancer in the Dark? I haven't. I have to oh. see it. I have to see it. I can't believe I haven't seen it. Not is it all? Awesome? Not happy. It's not. It's Dude, not. It's it's not, not I think that that's why I didn't. Yeah. That's why I haven't seen it. Do you know what I mean? Because I remember it, when it came out, and everyone was like, "It is so dark," and yeah. I was just like, "I don't know if I can handle it, guys." You know, Lars Dude. Van Trees, right? Take yeah. half. Take half a sheet of acid. Don't go full. <laughs> oh, I would never, yeah. ever take. L- don't ab- don't even know psychedelics with his movies, dude. He did the wound. He did the one that does. It's fuck. It's called Dogville, where it's just it's just Nicole Kidman getting raped by this town for three and a half hours. Um, he did Antichrist, where you see William Defoe's dick, um, his real penis. In it might not have been his penis, but. Stop I don't it. know. JT, can you find out if it's Willem Dafoe's penis? Can you, play, you can. can you play three inches of his penis? Yeah, I want to see. I <laughs> Start wanna, at three and uh, three quarters inch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's it's all of his movies are just like, they're great uh, for like the cinematic and like the story Like you have no idea what's going to happen. And it's very emotionally driven. But it's like all of his movies are tough to watch. Isn't so, there one that's just like uh, white lines on the ground is the only Dogville. set? That that's was Dogville. Dogville. I saw that in the theater and it's like three hours and 45 minutes. Oh, we saw it opening oh, night. Oh, Opening night. He has that oh. Dog Me, what is it, Dog Me 95 where he has like a competition I believe that's him, where they make the movies and the the rules are there's like no lighting natural yeah, only sound, natural light. Natural sound, yeah. all lighting like no script no, like whatever. It's like it's it's basically as real as you can get while still filming something. Yeah, which is fascinating. Yeah. He's a he's a he's. I mean, I I love his movies. Uh, the Breaking the Waves was the first one that I saw, uh, and it's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant film. But once again, it's just dark. It's so dark. But so yeah, man. When you get to go away on one of your like you know <laughs> retreats by yourself, just fucking go surfing. Do not. Can you imagine a Lars von Trier like film like like we're gonna do like a what do you call like a marathon and just by the end of it you're just like all right, dude. I'm 
I gotta call my mom, man. I gotta apologize for for the shit <laughs> that I did. It was when a I was body younger. double. It was All a right. penis double. It was a, a penis, penis double. double. Yeah, the stunt guy. Stunt guy. Not a double penis. Don't pull it up. Don't pull it up. Unless you got it <laughs> like there. Yeah, you pull it up twice. You're playing with it. Share the screen. Is anybody behind you? Is uh, your kids away, Kurt? Yeah, they're away. Okay, show us, show us, show us, Willem. Do- now, okay, show us. I think penises are fascinating. You got <laughs> yeah, it. Okay, don't worry about it. Let's it's, move on. Let's I believe it's on. pronounced a jerk. It's pronounced a jerk. A jerk. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't want to talk about. Uh, I don't want to talk about enjoy, but I think that this beat is the hardest shit on the record. It's my favorite beat. Oh, uh, yeah, let's hear it. Uh, JT, play one fourteen. What I'm here for, yeah. not not the I love fucking that. 40 stuff. This is what I want, man. <laughs> That's what I love. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, all right, let's get on to. Then you've been flirting again. That's that's good. Uh, let's get to Isabel. Yeah. yeah, this might be my favorite song on the record. Really? Oh, that's yeah, interesting. Man. JT, play 217. This is this is like a song that I feel showcases why Bjork is so talented, and it shows the strength of her voice. It's like the notes she can hit, even when it sounds like it's about to go sideways and she's about to go flat or go off key. It's just this sharp like thing, and she stays on there. I, I think people need to like really just like give her the kudos that she deserves of being this incredible vocalist. Like incredible, and with a style that I've net like I just there's no other person in popular music who sings the way she sings. It is so idiosyncratic and specific. It's just like it's amazing. I hear a female Bono sometimes. I think Bono's one of those ones that can get there because they can both get to the, their high range and then crack and make it sound like curdling or breathtaking. That's the closest I've heard. I, I wish they had done a duet. That's the one thing. I, oh, that to this been day, I think a a a a, 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 a duet between out. Bono. I know. I, I want to say duet, <laughs> and I'm already screwed up with all this. I, <laughs> I have 900 <laughs> words for snow. I can't say duet. So yeah, yeah no, it's, it, it's that, that. yeah. So so uh, I think Bono and Bjork together doing a duet would be. The commitment, the commitment to speaking in an Icelandic accent is amazing, Morty. It yeah, is she really amazing. tells it. Yeah. No, so 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 this is a modern day fairy tale about a girl magically born in the forest. This is <laughs> oh, this is so Bjork. This is so Bjork confronting the growing urban world around her. So it's kind of about nature and instinct versus civilization and intellectualizing. Is this the video where 
the audience, like, there's like a story upon a story upon a story, or no, that's a different one. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think it was a Michelle Gondry-directed video, too, where, like, then there's a play, like, she writes a book, and then the book gets... No, I think that's called Story of Me. It's a different... It's maybe off the first album. Um, Is there anything interesting about this, Morty? Yeah, well, so for this, she knew she wanted to write this idea for the album. She had a book of lyrical ideas, but she couldn't get it done and she couldn't complete it. So she asked for help as we talked. Remember I talked earlier about the guy named Sion that had played with her prior to that. So her old Icelandic bandmate from before Sugar Cubes uh, was a guy named Sion, who was already a well-known poet, novelist, and playwright and lyricist in Iceland. And he helped her finish this off and they've continued to collaborate on, I think five or six of her albums since then. So this is the one that really, that, that got them together on that. So did she, did she produce this herself, this song or is it someone else? I don't, I didn't, uh, I think this was, this might've been a co-production. I think most of the record was a co-production. He just helped write the lyrics for it. Okay. Just about that to tell the one thing is the first song. So, uh, just because I think it's it's interesting while he's looking that up just for a sec is Army of Me and uh, Modern Things or whatever the one is called. What's it called? The Modern Things were both written before this album. Those two songs came out. They were oh. written by Graham Massey and her, but Nellie Hooper came on and she was like, I'm just going to do the whole record with Nellie. So she had a couple aces in her hole for this album. She had like... So no, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this, Morty, because you keep talking about Graham Massey yeah. and you talk about the acid. It's Acid House? Acid House. Before they so so is so but is that is so is Army of Me Acid House? No, it's more trip hop. I think if we were to call it something, that's what I thought. Yeah, a little more downbeat. But he came from 808 State, which is the huge, you know, like a huge raver pre raver Acid House type band, Manchester, England, Hacienda sort of thing. So he was already like a pioneer of that type of music. So when she hooked up, remember she look at who she has for this record. Massive Attack people, 808 State people, you know, Tricky's coming up. So she's got like big sound system people on this record. And she's at 95. This is the perfect, she is the perfect artist to take what they sort of cultured that they built and to take it and go, I'm going to make a whole record with this power behind it. Can we also just take a minute, uh, Fleece Army, and just realize that Manchester, England is the best part of fucking England, dude. Everything good is coming out of there. Fucking Stone Roses, Oasis, uh, Portishead. The the Laws. Not Portishead. What are you you talking about? Portishead. They're from Brixton. They're actually, yeah, Manchester and Brixton are top and bottom. Manchester's all the way at the top. You know, all right. The Smiths. This isn't a geography. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. The Smiths. The Smiths. (laughs) The Smiths. Yeah, dude. Did you ever hear that story about the Laws, about that Laws record? Uh, is apparently, so I don't know, I don't know the guy's name, but he, uh, you know, the guy who was the yeah, Laws. Lee, Lee, Lee had, Childers. Yes. And yeah. he had, he was like spending so long re-recording and re-recording all these songs that finally the, the, the record company told the producer to take it away from him and then just put it out. And then that Laws record became so big. And it's like, there she goes was like the fucking number one hit. And to this day, Lee Childers hates the album and swears that he's going to re-record it. And he he's he's furious and and disavows the most popular one of the most popular records ever made. <laughs> yeah, they're Liverpudlians, really? and that's absolutely true. And he's never done. Oh, that's Liverpool. Yeah, he's. Oh, never... I thought I thought it was Manchester. No, well, I mean it's 
we're talking about the top, you know, near Scotland. But yeah, no, okay. he's, that's that's an incredible album too. I don't know if it's on here. That's a great but album. it should be. I bet you it's not. Yeah. With the song There She Goes. Yeah. Yeah, the record. The record's incredible. <laughs> the Laws. All right. Well, I mean, that's the only song I know by him, so I thought when you kept saying the laws, I thought you were talking about that rapper, the locks. I was like, oh, <laughs> the locks is from England. I remember the locks. He's I didn't dope. Know he was... Um, Kurt. Yes. Are you a nature guy? Yes. How Hardcore. do you how do you stay connected to the earth? Oh, lots of trying to go on hikes. You know, big hiker. The, yeah, and then um, I recently started backpacking. I had never backpacked, always car camped. But like when I, you know, where growing up, where I would car camp was like this. It was land, so like your car was at the bottom of it, of a big hill, mountain almost. Um, so it never felt like car camping, you know, because you were in the middle of uh, like nowhere in upstate New York. Um, but yeah, so I just started backpacking. I want to, I want to, I want to do the PCT um, at some point. Um, so I might do it in kind of like sections as I get time, as the kids get older, drag them along. PCT. The Pacific Crest Trail, baby. Oh! Starts was... in Mexico, ends in Canada. Oh, man. Goes through Manchester yeah. and also, then up through Liverpool. Like right up to Liverpool, right at but the But you end. also surf, though. Yeah. And you're, uh, that's like your shit, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's That's like the easiest way to like, if you want, if you don't have a ton of time that like, that gets you that nature fix real fast, just to be out in the water. Aren't you afraid of sharks? No. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like every once in a while. I mean, like once I've I've been, I've been truly scared. I think what like once. Sometimes you're like it, it's you know if it's like overcast and you're alone, and like the you know there's like a murkiness to it. Sometimes you can get a little spooked, but usually it, it quells and goes away. But once I was surfing in Australia right around the corner um, from Byron Bay. And it's this long stretch of beach. And we had slept in a camper van out front, me and my brother and I. And then I went to go surf 6 a.m. I'm out. And you have to walk through the bush to get to this beach. And this beach is like 10 miles long. Nobody's there. It's just me. It's fucking beautiful. I'm out surfing. And it's like just like really choppy. And it shouldn't be out. But I was like, I only have three days on this surf trip. I'm going to surf no matter what the conditions are. And I'm out and I just start getting like a really like sharky vibe and really like kind of like freaked out. And and because I realize like if something happens here, like I'm dead, like there is we are so far away. There's no humans. My brother's asleep in a camper van, like a hike through the forest. Uh, he doesn't even know that I came out here yet. And then all of a sudden, right at that, like a whole like like three dolphins happen to like come up at the same time but on either side of me and i screamed so loud like they all like you know like breached and like got, you know took a breath and i screamed so loud and of course if all these dolphins are there there's probably not sharks there but i was just like that's it i'm out of here oh <laughs> like immediately God. paddled in and then i read that on that stretch like a very a very famous shark attack had happened for a professional australian surfer like in the 80s and so I'd like, and the people like nobody surfs there because it's known for to be very sharky. And you were just out there by like, myself, there six a.m. He goes, there he goes, dude. I, I, I like, I cannot go in the ocean and 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 feel masculine because if anything touches my foot or my leg, I am like. I just, it's all of it. Like I will never go to the beach with a woman that I'm interested in unless we've been dating for over a year. <laughs> 
Oh, I love that. But that's like such a way to show how vulnerable you can be. Just like, look, I'm going to be really scared in the ocean when we go. People, they would love it. The ladies would love it. Okay. Did you, you, I grew up near the ocean, so that's why I don't, you know, I've just been in it since a little kid. Did, where'd you grow up? I, I grew up uh, the Washington D.C. area. Oh right, uh, right. My sister now lives by Ocean City, Maryland. Are you f- from the part of Jersey where did you ever see that MTV like True Life like Jersey Shore thing where the guys you know what I'm talking about where the guys like I want my goddamn cheese balls. <laughs> no. Do you know that? No, I don't. Cheese balls. Cheese balls. Cheese balls. Cheese balls and steak sandwiches. I was, uh, we, we used to go to Ocean City, Maryland. I hardly ever went into the water. Even here now in Los Angeles, being it's fucking a 15, 20 minute drive, like I hardly ever go. And that sucks I because I'm planning on moving to New York and I'm like, man, I never spent any fucking time at the beach here. You're moving? I, I think so, yeah. I'm almost positive. I'm going to take some, I'm going to, dude, I want to, I really, really want to be the best comic I can be. Yeah. And I don't think here with the credits that I have, I can get the amount of spots that will yep. make me happy. Yeah. And and it's and you know it, dude. It's like it's this this town isn't based on funny. It's based on all right, this guy's got a hundred, you know, a, a million uh followers on Instagram and they're gonna put him up and it's just I don't know. I don't know. I just I dude it's I think it's just just so much more. There's so much more stage time. There's so much more quality stage time in New York. Exactly. And I, and I, they're all the clubs when I, because I've been spending so much time there, they've all been like, you're thinking about moving here. And I'm like, yeah, and they're like, we'll work you dude. We'll work you. So it might just be, it might be for a year. It might be for two years. Uh, Either way, I'm going to be coming back here a lot, especially if the comedy store opens and I can do my main room show. I'll be back at least once a month. Uh, But that's all. That's what I want. I want to be bi-coastal. Yeah. That's that's and you really can it. be. Why uh, yes. not? It's it's the time. I'm 41. It's time. All right. The next one I want to talk about is possibly maybe um, play here. Jeremiah, play uh, 146. This is why I love Bjork because she said, like, if you read those lyrics, you know, it's like, how could she fit that in and still make it in the cadence of the song? And it's just like, she is so good at at the inflections and moving and saying the words that it's like, it just fits. And then it all comes together. And it's incredible. This is, pro- this is probably the most trip hoppy song on the record. I was just going to ask, would this be considered trip hop? That's trip hop, okay. yeah, dude. Uh, thoughts yes. on this? Oh, I love it. I mean, I just, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's a great song. I don't have any specific stories for this one. I don't just worry. fucking, it just, and also the fact that that, that beat is just a little bit off. It kind of keeps catching a little bit. is yeah. just so fucking cool. I, I love this one, especially dude, if you were like tripping balls, like mm. you were like, <laughs> you needed this to come on. Like at a certain point after fucking Isabel, like possibly maybe just kind of sets you like, okay, no, like uh, I need my skin. You're like, my skin's good. Like <laughs> you're not freaking out too much. There, There is a lyric though uh, that I wanted to see if you guys think this is what I think it is. Uh, JT, play 120. My- 
your erections and disasters. <laughs> Does everybody hear that? Does everybody hear that? She's Perfect not saying deal. it, but it's, it stopped me. And I was like, holy shit. Fucking Bjork wants the D, dude. Bjork is all <laughs> about the D. So this song uh, was the fifth single. It went to number 13 on the UK charts. It was co-written uh, with Nellie Hooper. And how do you say that name? Marius uh, DeVries. And shout out to Marius, who is a friend. So gotta give a shout. You know fucking everybody, bro. Yeah, you know. You're you're the you're the Dean Del Rey of music. I don't know him. If anybody gets that reference. Um so she described this as the first unhappy song that she wrote. What? After some writers Yeah, dude. After some writers block, this poured out about her failed relationship with French photographer. Go ahead, uh Stefan Sednawi. Perfect. Who also <laughs> directed the music video. And cool fact, each verse melody is different to represent the changing feelings during each oh. month of the relationship. Holy shit. And also yeah, imagine dude. for Bjork what writer's block means. That means like for an hour she couldn't write. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like she's been fucking producing music from 11 to she's been already at 20 has been doing it for nine years has written how many albums like eight, eight albums by the time she's 20. Jesus she Christ. Is a prodigy. So I wanted to ask you, being that the first unhappy song, because I didn't even really look at this song as unhappy. Let's no. talk comedy. What's the most unfunny thing to happen to you that you've made funny? Um probably I mean I have like, you know, my mom died of cancer three years ago, and kind of I have this like I have this piece that's gonna be on my next special that's kind of like this long story about this Dinosaur Jr. concert um, while my mom was dying that I think is, I think it's pretty funny. I mean, I know it, it works. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of all about dealing, not like like being overcome by the emotions of having a dying parent in a kind of inappropriate situation. Yeah. Um, and then trying to write comedy about it and failing. <laughs> I mean, it is the hardest thing to do is yeah. like to to take something like that. But it's what's so great about comedy is that these things that we, you know, we we like either it is something that we did that we're not that that we might judge ourselves mm -hmm. from is like what's so great is that you could tell that story on a podcast and people fall in love with it. And then next thing you know, this negative thing becomes this beautifully positive thing that people are attracted to. And yeah, you know. So yeah, dude. Uh, can't. When do you when are you planning on shooting the special? August, August in Denver. Nice. Where yeah. comedy works? Gothic, Gothic, dude, dude. Mushrooms legal out there, bro. <laughs> oh, they are. Yeah, dude. Oh wow. Oh my god, that's amazing. That's perfect, yeah, dude. Listen, this is literally I'm, my favorite. That they're my favorite. Just if, a little bit of mushrooms is like. What a pleasant way to go about your day. All right. Uh, I miss you. Uh, great song. Cover me. Uh, Cover me and headphones I've never connected with. Those two songs at the end, I've never, I've always, when they come on, I was like, I literally was playing the album again. I was like, wait, have I ever listened to these two songs? Uh, and I listened to them. I was like, I guess maybe I have, but they've never left an impression. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, there is some interesting shit about this. Morty, go ahead and tell us. So just to, just to give you this one. So for Cover Me, what's interesting is, is she worked with Nellie Hooper on the first album. And then she basically sort of wrote this to him. You know, we talked about how a lot of these were like letters to people. She wrote this to him sort of making fun of herself 
and a way of showing her admiration for him to kind of talk him into working with her again so that they, she'd work on this. So she was sort of showing her belly, so to speak, so that she could, she could, Aww. so she could get him to work with him again because I, she, she, you know, she admittedly said it's, it's a lot to work with me, you know, I get, <laughs> I get, you know, and so, yeah. So if you do this, you know, by the way, this is for you. And then the really interesting is a lot of the vocals for the album were recorded in Nassau, the Bahamas. Yes. This one in particular, she recorded in a cave infested with bats. While I crawl into the unknown, cover me. I'm going hunting for mystery. This is what I'm talking about. You were talking about how hard it is to work with Bjork is that that would be her idea to go to a fucking cave, you know, and you're like, you're like, you know, all right. So uh, I set the mic up. I'm just going to go wait outside. Just let me know when you're done. Another one, another song I heard she like, they extended the mic cord out of the studio so that she could sing on the beach to the ocean. (laughs) It's the most Bjork shit I've ever heard. It is the most Bjork shit. Also, totally, really, 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 really reminds me of uh, working with my comedy partner, Kristen Schaal. Uh, very Bjork and Kristen Schaal are very, very similar. Well, tell me how, how are they similar? I mean like that Kristen would, Kristen, like literally, <laughs> I remember what, like Kristen would do stuff like that where we would like, that, that, that would be her idea. She'd be like, well, that's beautiful. Of course we should do uh, an entire sketch about like, uh, just ghosts on the beach. And I'm just, uh, you know, like that's, that's Kristen to a T of like, let's go shoot it on the beach and we'll record it while I sing to the ocean. That's uh, so dope. Yeah. The it's true it, it, art. It's just like an artist, just being an artist. And you guys are doing hot tub online right now, but as soon as I know as soon as we get back together, we're, you guys are going to start doing it again. Yeah. At the Virgil. At the Virgil. Uh, I, and I've told you this, uh, the worst bomb of my life <laughs> what? was 2013 at hot tub. Whoa. Uh, dude, I don't Dude, I was right after I did new faces, TJ Miller, uh, he was like, I, I told him I wanted to do hot tub. He got me on to Joel, talked to Joel. They put me on. Dude, I bombed so hard that the only time I got a laugh was when I looked at the audience and went, wow, you guys hate me. And then a huge <laughs> laugh. Oh, no. And it, and I it don't ended, remember at all. Oh, God. I car- Dude, Kurt, let me tell you something. I carried around that bomb for years until... I, I, after the jam, we recorded and I've been really working at stand up again. And, and, uh, I, I remember I hit up Joel and I was like, Joel, and I told him the whole story. I was like, dude, this is, the, I, I carry that bomb around with me. I need to make it right. Can I go back on? And then it was maybe 2018, September 2018. And he put me back on and I fucking murdered. And it was like just the greatest, like, washing of oh, like God. that energy. And then I was like, and then like a couple months later, I was like, Joel, can I get back on the show? And he goes, yeah, we're booked up right now. I still remember that 2013 one. It was, it was really, really bad. <laughs> it was great. Dude, I needed that. Dude, I needed that so fucking bad. Oh, I love that story. Uh, thank you. Thank you. All right, now I'm going to ask you this. Where's the strangest place you ever had a gig? Strangest place was, I think, um, well, I mean, like there's always, you know, once was in a fucking 
the all of them have been corporate gigs the the, the worst ones the you worst. know but mm-hmm. i remember kristen and i did this gig and i've done I, literally i did one in la where it was like i just came into someone's office and then they like at lunch <laughs> it was just like eight people and i just did like a half hour and they paid oh, like I, they paid me well and i was like great but it was fucking so awful but with kristen this was like right after we both started together probably 2005 or 2006 and we got booked corporate gig and we just like asked like so we just do a show and they're like yeah just do a show and then we show up at like 8 p.m on a friday night or whatever and it is just where we're performing is a conference room and so it has a big table that goes down the middle uh so then we're just like at one end of the conference table and then just at the table are like executives they seem to be like high-powered executives and then we're the only act we're supposed to just do 20 minutes so they're like doing whatever their fucking business meeting is and then we come in to do 20 minutes of uh of our very weird sketch comedy uh (laughs) (laughs) and about eight minutes in there was only like you know seven or eight people watching and about seven or eight minutes in the woman closest to the stage out loud like talking i don't know if she was like asserting dominance or if she was didn't realize she was talking out loud she just said oh no this is terrible (laughs) oh my god (laughs) then it was just out loud and like no one had been laughing anyway so we knew no one liked it but she literally said oh no this is terrible like like she just realized it and it came out of her mouth and uh and then we had to like finish up doing our show uh and like do the rest of the 20 minutes and then we like got our check and left and that, it was totally that, worth that it that check had never been sweeter though you looked <laughs> yeah down, no like, shit it was worth it 100 percent. it was it. worth it it's like I'm, I'm i'm getting a flat screen tomorrow <laughs> so you see that honey you see that flat screen we're watching yeah that's the bomb of my life right there What's yours? Uh, the weirdest place? Uh, the yeah. rave in Baltimore. I did a <gasps> rave. Um, no, you did not. You I did, did a stand-up? I've told this story on the podcast a bunch, but the this, the short thing is my buddy throws this huge party in Baltimore called Starscape, uh, a rave of like 50,000, 60,000 people. And Till? Still now? He, well, not now, but he does. It, there's a variation of it called Moonrise Festival. Okay. Actually, my buddy Evan, uh, during COVID, started making Detroit-style pizzas. It's called Underground Pizza. It's some of the best pizza I've ever had in my life. He ships them overnight all over the country. This is what's so great about COVID is that the shit shuts down. He can't produce shows. He starts making pizzas, posting about it. People start uh, asking, hey, man, can I get one of those? Next thing you know, he's selling them out of his car. He's doing pop-ups. Open up a brick and mortar in Power Plant Live. Nice. Holy and shit. It's, and it's like the most popular pizza place in Baltimore, and it deserves to be. It's incredible. But yeah, so he was, I was like, I was going, going back to Maryland to be, uh, to, for my mom's, uh, retirement party. And I noticed that Starscape was going on and I said, Hey man, I'm going to be there. Can I go to the party? And he goes, yeah. He's like, do you want to host this stage? And I was like, yeah, why not? I'll be, it's like bands. So I'd go up in between and kind of introduce them and do shit like that. Then day of, he goes, Hey man, I don't need you all day. Just come, uh, be, make sure you're there at 11. I'm going to need you for some time between this one big breakdown and a big setup. And when I got there, the guy's like, uh, the guy's like, so yeah, you're going to do an hour What? and there's, there's like 2000 people, all <gasps> ravers on drugs. And this is the best part. Is that <laughs> you'll, you'll, 
you'll appreciate this shit is that so I, I get to the to the carny slash sound dude and I go he gives me the mic he goes all right so there's your stage go up and it's like a small stage in between like right below the main stage and there's like kind of like I guess in the area where the press would take photos where there's like the 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 little gate so the audience is here and I'm like in this little space about six feet long and then the big stage is behind me and I go uh well aren't you gonna introduce me he goes no and I'm like, come on, man. And I go, all right, listen, here, I'll write my name down. I write my name down, Josh Adam Myers. <laughs> and then I go, oh, can you, because I'm like, maybe a year into stand-up, Kurt. I'm like, can you? <gasps> no, yeah. no, no. I'm like, dude, I was like, tell him I did Letterman. Because I want to, <laughs> I'm thinking that they'll, I'm thinking, I'm thinking All the that, ravers are going to be like, whoa, uh, Letterman. Letterman. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> this guy did Ferguson? All right, let me, let's tune in. And I swear to God, the carny goes, all right, y'all, this dude said he did Leatherman. Give it up for Jimmy Josh Adams. I walk up there as Jimmy Josh Adams from Leatherman and eat a shit sandwich. Did you stay on stage? For the full hour. People threw beers at me, threw glow sticks. Uh, glow sticks wow. were easy because you could see them coming. The beers hurt. Um, <laughs> the only thing that was dope about it was uh, I started because, dude, I wrote all this like rave material. I was like, oh, this will take 20 minutes. I went through the rave material in like a minute. <laughs> and then I did all of my material within three minutes. So I was just grasping at straws and like trying to find anything. And I saw this one kid rolling face right in the front and I brought him on stage as like a human shield. Uh-huh. And then I started interviewing him and asking him questions. And then I started getting some chuckles and then I brought this like hot chick up uh, and I interviewed her and I was like, well, where's your boyfriend? And her boyfriend was just a, such a fucking like raver hand job with like wings and the big goggles. Oh. Like look like Seth Green from uh, Can't Hardly Wait. <laughs> and it just, but by the end of it, this is what's dope. Cause it was a rite of passage. This is one of those things where it's like, I don't care, man. I'm not getting off until they light me. And I mean, I ate shit, but at the end I go, all right, everybody, that's my time. And dude, 2000 people just like, yeah, Uh, applauding. And then I go, if you guys didn't like me on the count of three, everybody give me the finger and say, fuck you. I'm like, one, two, three. And it's like just 2000 hands like, fuck (laughs) yeah. And then, dude, this is the best part, Kurt. I walk off stage and I go in the background and fucking everybody, I'm like a star. Everybody's like, sup, Jimmy Josh? I'm like, yo, <laughs> what's going on, y'all? That's I'll your Baltimore that. name. That old Jimmy, Jimmy Josh, Josh Adams, Adams dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's it's still to this day. I'm glad. One of, those, I'm one of the most proudest shows I've ever fucking done. The fact that I stayed up there for an hour. That's why you don't give up because somehow, some way, <laughs> that bomb helped me. To where I am today. Um, all right, so the album ends with headphones. Uh, I fucking love the song. Uh, I I know that this is a uh, closing track that was co-written and produced with hip hop trip hop pioneer Tricky around the same time that they were romantically involved. Uh, and she wrote this about receiving a mixtape and described it as a love letter to sound, the sound of sound, resonances, frequencies, silences, and such, a music worship thing, and dedicated it to Graham Massey. Beautiful song. Still think she should have ended the album with So so Quiet. Um, thoughts on this? None? Good. That's None. how I feel about it. What's the greatest mixtape you ever got? Or made? Oh man, the greatest mixtape. 
It was, I, I think there, there was a gr- mixtape I still wish I had. It was made by my, my roommate, uh, Hank Baker from Louisville, Kentucky. And it was all like Louisville music from around like 1989 to 1995. So it like had some slint on it, had some Rodan on it. It had, um, I mean, stuff like I don't even remember the majority of it. I remember the road. It started off with this one Rodan song, which was fucking amazing. Um, yeah, that 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 was like it was just a perfect little mixtape, and it was like 120 minutes, and it would just flip over inside my car my car tape deck. We just listened to it all the time, usually on acid. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're the Timothy Leary of comedy, bro. I love I mean, it. I haven't done acid in years. Well, <laughs> yeah, acid shit's, is like as a dad, change. I'm just like I would love to do acid. Do I have 12 hours of free time that I can schedule? No, that's called being an adult, not being able to schedule 12 hours to do acid. When you go on one of your breaks, bro. <laughs> when you go on one of your breaks, yeah. All right. Let's do some facts. We'll get out of here. All right. Uh, so the Michelle Gondry directed Army and Me video was banned after the 95 Oklahoma City bombing because of a scene where Bjork puts a bomb in a museum. Wow. What's been your most controversial moment? My most controversial moment? Yeah. Wow, Jesus. Well, this is from... This is again. It's all from the same time. This is from 1995. Nice. I don't know if it's very. You're a wild man in the mid 90s, bro. I was a wild man in the mid 90s. Calmed down significantly since then. <laughs> um, again, an acid story. I don't know why. It's all just. It's just because my my brain is in that that area of my life. Yeah. I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah. A constantly taking acid anymore. <laughs> That's um, what we get from this. <laughs> but I went. I we took some acid. We're in New Jersey. Took some acid and then uh, just never, as a, as an 18, 19 year old would do, just didn't anticipate like, oh, this is going to be with me for 12 hours. And because uh, we were going down, we were driving from New Jersey to to uh, Swarthmore to pick up my girlfriend at the time, picked her up, drove back to New Jersey, which is like multiple hour drive both ways. Uh, and then like got back and then didn't think it through that my, <laughs> that my, that I was going to see Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat with my mom and her friend who was a priest at my old high school with my friend Chris and my friend and my girlfriend at the time. So still tripping, get in the car with Father Larry and my mom and my mom and Father Larry, like weirdly, I think they were just like platonic buddies, but it just seemed like they were dating. They would like go out to dinner like once a week, you know? Um, And Father Larry uh, was South Indian and had such a super thick, thick accent that I could never understand really what he was saying to me. So that was already difficult tripping. And then I'm seated between Father Larry and my mom and all of a sudden, all these little kids run out. Like, I don't know what Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat's all about. Also, it's a high school production. Uh, and then all these little children run out, like, right off the bat. And we're, me and Chris are tripping. No one knows we're tripping. And then all these little children come and, like, sit down next to us in the, in the aisle. And then I just see Chris going over and patting one of them on the head. And I had to, like, <laughs> reach around my mom and be like, you can't, don't pat the children. And he's just like, they're real. And I was like, yes, they're real. And <laughs> they then real. 
there was a it was a break, and I was angry at the school. I was angry, I guess, at Catholicism in general. And so at, during the break, we went outside to just get some fresh air. And then on the side of the building, like right where you walk in when anyone would see it, um, I had like one of those big uh, like paint markers, you know, cause we were really into quote unquote tagging things in Baltimore yeah. at the time. And I didn't, you know, my tag was just like a star or whatever. I didn't, <laughs> it was stupid. It was just like, whatever. And so I wrote very large on the side of the building. As you walked into my Catholic high school, Jesus loves you. Kurt B fucks you. <laughs> and, then, and then went back in and continued watching Joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat. And then laughed. And then I tried to go back to my high school and I was not let in. Uh, They banned me. I was not ever allowed to go back to Christian Brothers Academy. Because you fuck. New Jersey. Yeah, because I fucked you. All right. Ironically, though, in 96, uh, she had to take a break while making the possibly maybe video because an obsessed and disturbed Florida fan suicide note revealed they mailed a sulfuric acid bomb to her and her young son, which fortunately was intercepted safely. Holy shit. She's got this thing about her that people are obsessed with Bjork. Yeah. Like the people that are fans. You know what? You know what she's got? She's got Monica Seles vibe. Do you get that? Does anybody? Monica Seles was the tennis player that got stabbed in the back in Germany by that German guy. Do you remember that? No, I don't even know about that. What? Yeah. Really? really, Yeah. What year did it happen? I know you don't follow sports, but do you follow murder? (laughs) 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 I think that happened in 1990, 96, 95. She was the best tennis player in the world. Arguably, like, she was better than Steffi Graf. Uh, was kind of like right up on her. She was winning Wimbledon. And, and she US died? Open. She died? No, she didn't die. Oh, okay. She didn't die, but she got stabbed. 1993. When was it? 93. 93. She got stabbed in the back by this obsessed fan that like loved her so much. And uh, yeah, and then she came back and I don't know if she was ever the same. Like it's really sad because she was so dope. Uh, and then it just, you know, she was afraid. I mean, can yeah. you imagine that? Like- no, I can't. To have fans be that disturbed that they want to like that they feel like they, it's the it's the fucking John Lennon, Mark David Chapman yeah. shit. It's 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 if you ever watch, uh, you ever seen Imagine the the John Lennon documentary, Kurt? I have not. So if you watch it, there's a part where there's this homeless guy that they find living in the bushes of one of his like a sprawling estates. And and John goes out there with, I think, Yoko and like his security. And he's like, what are you? They're like, what are you doing here? And the guy, the homeless guy is like, well, he's like, you wrote all these songs about me. Oh, no. And he's and John's like, what are you talking about? He's like, they're about me or they're about Yoko or they're about drugs. Like, I don't know who you are. And then he's like, do you want to come in and I'll feed you? And then it's like him sitting at a table with the homeless guy, which I think they did because I knew the camera was there. You know what I mean? Like, he really would have been like, all right, get the fuck off my property. (laughs) They took out his knees, probably burnt him, put like a scarlet L on him. Um, I'll give you one quick thing, by the way, just so you'll like this, though. The reason that she he sent the bomb is that she was dating Goldie and, and she he's black. And that was a big thing that he had an issue with also. Oh, was this guy? Wow! Yeah, yeah dude, she's been known to date a lot of the people she works with. There's yeah. real, dude. You know what's funny? I was at I was at uh, Paradox, um, and uh, there was like a 
a DJ. The DJ booth was in the main room, and then there was this like VIP area that was kind of like right behind it. And Goldie was DJing, and like I like knocked on the thing, and like Goldie turned around and like looked at me, and I like went full like uh, Midnight Express and like put my titty up against the window. And he went from like looking at me like "fuck yeah" to like "who the fuck is this?" And then I got kicked out of the club. <laughs> Swear to God. Goldie. <laughs> I mean, to get kicked out of that place, you have to do a lot. <laughs> yeah, dude. Show, show your titty to uh, one of the biggest DJs, drum and bass DJs in the world. All right, Morty, hit us with the last okay, one. Okay, so last one, and we got to give a shout out to Aton G, the Jewish rapper from Baltimore, Maryland, another native who I know listens and is a big fan of the comedy Love jam him. and everything. Getty Lee from Rush called this one of his favorite albums. Here's what he said about it. He says, I know it's hard to see any connection between Rush and Bjork, but I don't think she gets the credit that she deserves. People tend to forget just what a fantastic and truly original artist she really is. Just great music powered by an immense imagination. I think that's true. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, it, dude, it's the same shit, Kurt. I never would have thought you would have been a fan of this record. I mean, not, not, nothing against you. I just, it's, you know, you, you never know what people are into. And I mean, I could see the way that Rush's music is him being attracted to this. Cause it's it's rock, but it's is it, I mean, would you call like Rush progressive? Yeah, I think Rush is prog rock, right? Is it progressive rock, Morty? Yeah, there's a yeah, there's dude. yeah. All right, let me ask you this, Kurt. Uh, who have you been surprised uh, to find that they're a fan of yours? I you know I don't know if they're a fan, um, but there was two instances uh, when I was asked to open for the Hold Steady, which is one of my favorite bands ever. Great band. Um. And when I was asked to open for Metallica. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like a Ooh. weird, they usually have Jim Brewer open for them. Um, but then this was like a, like a kind of a charity gig that they were playing for their new charity. Uh, and they, they wanted someone who wouldn't go either like blue or political. Uh, and so they asked me, <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but then I got to open for like a bunch of like millionaires in San Francisco before Metallica played for like two hours. Oh my God. You yeah. get to hang out with them. Yep. Beforehand, everybody came by and said hi and got a little picture. And then afterwards it was like this, like real scene, you know, it was like the after party was this real scene. And I was like, I can't. I'm not going to stay here because I was you by myself. Like I wanted someone to hang out with to be like, we're at the after party for this Metallica show. Oh, but it was just like by myself, like just standing around awkwardly. I was just like, I'm going back to my hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> Rapid fire questions. Uh, favorite song on the record. Uh, yeah, I think army and me army and me least favorite song on the record. Cover me. Cover me. Okay. What song on this record would you fuck to? Oh my God. Isobel? Okay. Oh no, I'll change it. Hyper Ballad. Ooh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Because then it I, ends, it ends like actually like, you know, big. Oh yeah, dude. That's yeah. It's right. If you time it perfectly, <laughs> if you time it perfectly. If you can fuck for five minutes and 22 <laughs> seconds. You can do that. We can do that. At this age, we can fuck for five minutes. Trust me. I, six, seven, eight, that's where it starts getting a little iffy. <laughs> Uh, does this record deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? Hands down it does. It's such a fucking beautiful, overwhelming record. It just goes to 
I mean, the fact that it has so many different styles within it, yet still has such a singular voice, I think that's what marks it as a great, great album. Completely, completely. Uh, This was so much fun, Kurt. Uh, Promote away. Anything you want to promote, go ahead. Sure. Uh, Listen to Bananas, my podcast. Uh, It's all about strange news. You can listen to it right now, and then you can just follow me on most of the uh, socials. You can just, my name, last name's tough, so just gurgle, Google, gurgle. (laughs) Just gurgle. Just gurgle. Just gurgle. Gurgle. Just gurgle. Gurgle. Cure comedy, and I should be the first pop-up. Morty, go ahead. Uh, What do you want to promote? So I, uh, you follow me at uh, on Twitter at DJ Morty Coyle and all my information's on there. And then shout out to another Fleece Army person, Blake Bardot. Oh, I know Blake Bardot, dude. Uh, oh, we all know Blake Bardot. I know what Morty's trying to do right now. He's trying to no, no, I'm not. get a little ish like on, giving, the, on the backhand no, side. No, I just like giving. I just like giving love to the fans. Oh yeah, that sure, sure, dude, us. sure. I shouted out sure, TJ last dude. week. We all know. I'm just picking well, people he's that I too. think are worthy. Right. Fleece armies. Loyalists. Okay. Yeah, all right. There we there we go. All right. You know. All right. JT, go ahead. Uh, at JT underscore podcast exec is me across all socials and the company Next Chapter Podcast at NC Podcast. And next week, we're actually launching a new podcast with Rex Chapman. Ooh, what? So the king of Twitter is uh, going to have his own podcast. Yeah. So that is awesome. Um one of the best one of the best LSD stories I'll end it on this was I was tripping balls in 10th grade and I was having kind of a bad trip because we got stopped by the cops because we were in a field listening to Nas Illmatic and then I remember <laughs> walk I, the cops let me go I walk through Waters Landing JT you'll understand this I get to M&G's and the guy that owned the uh, fuck up he owns something in that area he was wasted and he had just come from the washington wizards game it was opening game of the season and he was i remember i'll, I'll never forget it he was like they're down by two and then, then you know they're down by one and then next thing you know rex chapman gets the ball and he puts it in and we won and then i was like i gotta get the fuck out of here and i went <laughs> home and i fucking you know tripped in my room like a human being like we're supposed to <laughs> kurt this was great i thank love you, you buddy i, I can't you. thank you enough for coming on buddy that was really fun thank you Th- my pleasure what did i tell you what did i tell you the one and only kurt brown guys follow him on all social media at kurt brown k-u-r-t-b-r-a-u-n-o-h-l-e-r follow him and go to his website for all things kurt KurtBrownOler.com. Make sure you check out his podcast, Bananas. It's incredibly funny. And go see him live at the Helium in Portland, May 13th through the 15th. Now, we just listened to Bjork from 1995 for new music this week, my good friend, Young and Sick. You might know Young and Sick because he does all the art for the show. He also makes incredible sad boy stoner music in his bedroom. And you're listening to his latest single, Monday, off the upcoming album, Brother. I love Nick. I love Young and Sick. Whatever you want to call him. Nick, Young and Sick, doesn't make a difference. This dude's dope. Check out his shit. You can find the links on the website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and we're directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Put the album and artist that influenced you in the... Next week, it's Jackson Brown. It's the third record we've done. 1974's Late for the Sky. 
Do your homework. Listen to the record. Stay fleecy. Dougal Dougal.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Next Chapter Podcasts.